Today is May 3rd, 2021, and today we will do a deep dive into the economic and social system of communism. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive, and we may not always agree, but together we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, Split the Difference family. We have a fantastic episode lined up here for you today to start your week off right. As always, y'all, you know that we do our best try and look at everything that we can from as many different angles as we can. We try to stay as educated as possible and form our opinions and hold those opinions strongly. Today, I am bringing out an absolute banger for y'all. Honestly, probably the best podcast that I've done yet, if I do say so myself, uh, where it's actually going to be part one of a three-part series where we go in and we do a deep dive into one of, or we're eventually going to cover all three, of the biggest economic systems that you hear talked about the most in our modern day and age. The first one that we will be covering today will be communism. We are also going to do a part on socialism. And the third and last one will be capitalism. Hopefully defining some of the origins of where these social and economic systems came from, some of the important factors that come along with them, why some people argue for them and why other people argue against them, how they are affecting our culture today, where we may see these in our culture today. A lot of these, obviously, you may be able to see or kind of grasp yourself as we're talking through it. But hopefully, and my goal behind this will be to give all of my listeners uh, hope good information that they can have, that they can take with them as they are forming their own opinions about all of these different things. I feel like you hear the term communism and socialism, and you also hear the term capitalism tossed around a lot, but many people don't have a solid definition of what these economic systems actually are and what they actually mean for us as we're living as modern day Americans. So the goal is hopefully to give you good history and definitions around it. So you, as our, as my listener can kind of formulate your own opinions and kind of get down to the nitty gritty of what it is that you really think about all of these different things. So without further ado, today we talk about communism. So, uh, as always, with my deep dives, I'm going to work very hard to make sure that I am not inserting my own opinion into these episodes, but simply presenting the research and the facts that I have found in as best and an unbiased way as I possibly can in order to give my listeners the opportunity to form their opinions on their own. So I'll purposefully be trying to pull back my own opinion uh, as much as I can, although I'm sure that it probably will seep into some areas uh, of the conversation as we go. So first things first, we need to define what is communism, okay? So communism is a philosophical, social, political, and economic ideology and movement whose ultimate goal is the establishment of a communist society, namely a socioeconomic order structured upon the ideas of common ownership of the means of production and the absence of social class, money, and the state, okay? It is an extreme form of socialism that finds its primary distinction in the fact that it is completely socialized, okay? Meaning that there's uh, 
the state and the people as a whole own everything communally, okay? And that's where the, the phrase for communism comes from. It basically is founded upon this idea of communal or joint equitable ownership, okay? It has all of its roots totally that were laid out by Karl Marx, which is why communism is oftentimes called Marxism, okay? Although the terms are not totally interchangeable because Marxism would be more of the philosophy and ideology behind it, and communism would be the actually implemented political system, most of the times communism and Marxism are kind of used interchangeably to describe the system of social or political or economic environment where uh, there's a communal ownership of all property, communal ownership of all systems uh, that is based primarily out of the teachings of Karl Marx. So, who is Karl Marx? So Karl Heinrich Marx was born on May 5th, 1818 in Trier, the Rhine province of what was then Prussia, what would be modern day Germany. Okay. He died on March 14th of 1883 in London, England. So he published, he published a lot of different books and pamphlets in his life. The most famous being the communist manifesto, which outlines the foundations for communism. We will talk a lot about the communist manifesto in this episode. Another popular work is Das Kapital, or just Capital. Uh, he only published during his lifetime the first volume of Das Kapital, which was supposed to actually be a multi-volume uh, work or project that he was doing that kind of lays, lays out... Uh, in a lot of ways, the arguments against capitalism and why capital in and of itself is kind of a bad thing. But uh, you, if you go online and you look up Das Capital, there are multiple volumes out there because two more volumes were published by his, we're going to say, um, business partner, but that's not really the best way to put Friedrich Engels. Uh, but Friedrich Engels published two more volumes of Das Kapital after uh, Marx died based upon the notes that Marx left behind. So uh, Engels, and we'll talk about him a good bit as well, pretty much paid for and supported Marx as he worked through a lot of his pamphlets and books that he published. He was kind of like Marx's sugar daddy in a lot of ways. Uh, that's a very <laughs> kind of watered down way to put it because they were also friends as well. Um, but Friedrich Engels held a lot of the same political and philosophy uh, type of ideologies that Karl Marx did, and he kind of helped Karl Marx kind of get his feet underneath him and then hopefully, you know, obviously publish a, a bunch of different books and pamphlets, okay? So he published, Karl Marx published numerous other uh, books and pamphlets outside of Das Kapital uh, and outside of the Communist Manifesto. Uh, most all of them centered around his study of different economic theories and his critiques of capitalism uh, as a whole, but we are primarily going to only kind of focus on mainly the, the Communist Manifesto. So Marx was born into a well-off family in Germany. Uh, it was actually Prussia at the time, but it's easier you know, to kind of use the current phrase or word or name of Germany uh, today, because I feel like not a lot of people know about the Prussian Empire, or the history of Prussia. Um, and that's not my purpose of this podcast. So his mother and father were both Jewish. However, both of them were later baptized into the evangelical, the Protestant church later on. Uh, many historians believe that this was because there were a lot of prejudices against Jews in that area at the time, and a professional career uh, had kind of a social requirement around it for being a Christian. So uh, they were baptized into the Protestant church, and then Karl Marx in his early upbringing was a supposedly a professing Christian, uh, and a lot of his high school writings and stuff like that that he did 
he claimed to be a devout Christian and have a lot had a lot of Christian ideals somewhat that he later lost in his life. Uh, his father was a very well-studied lawyer. He was heavily influenced by a lot of the Enlightenment thinkers and philosophers, primarily Voltaire and Kant as well. Uh, both of them had incredible impacts on the area of philosophy and coming out of the Enlightenment. So uh, his father studied and read a lot of those. He was an incredibly well-educated man. So Marx, as he starts to grow up, eventually goes starts going to college. and He starts to study at the University of Bonn where he joined a poet society. He spent a lot of times in taverns, apparently. Uh, he was actually arrested one time for drunk and disorderly conduct in public, um, which was, I think, kind of commonplace at the University of Bonn at the time. Uh, it was notorious for having a lot of incredibly left-leaning, politically active students that liked to party and liked to read and debate philosophy a whole bunch. So Marx kind of fell right in. Uh, after a year at the University of Bonn, however, Marx left to go to the University of Berlin, where he studied law and philosophy. So there he studied a wide gamut of different philosophers, okay, uh, from all the Enlightenment philosophers as well. He also had a lot of Greek philosophers that were studying, such as Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, a lot of the the old kind of uh, like ancient Western type of foundations of philosophy. He studied there at the University of Berlin. Uh, he started to develop a lot of his own opinions on a wide variety of different things and started to actually kind of put some of his theories and writings to paper. Um, you also have to realize, I think it's important that at this time, enlightenment thought and philosophy was at the forefront of debate within all universities in the Western world. So what would really kind of be categorized as Europe, Okay. Uh, philosophers were shaping the vast majority of the thinking and the teaching at all of these educational institutions, and now is one of the primary reasons why a lot of the philosophers' teachings of the Enlightenment era are taught and promulgated by the vast majority of the liberal arts at educa higher education institutions the world over now. Uh, it is very, very difficult for you go to go to any liberal arts school or university uh, in the West uh, primarily in the United States and in Europe as well, where you're not actually, you know, whether you realize it or not, uh, being taught a lot of the different principles that Kant raised or Voltaire raised or Hegel raised. Uh, a lot of these philosophers heavily influenced the way uh, that teaching was done at a lot of these higher education facilities. So uh, many philosophers at the time were openly debating and writing down their own thinking. They were being uh, argued against and argued for by a lot of students at universities. And so Marx pretty much just ran headlong into all of this and kind of devoted a lot of his time to the study of philosophy. So um, su surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, if you know a little bit about Marx, uh, his studies laxed a lot while he was at the University of Berlin. He was likely not going to be able to graduate from the University of Berlin because his grades were so poor. So at his friend's urging, he submitted his doctoral dissertation at the University at Jena, uh, which was known to have much, much easier academic standards. The rigor there was significantly lower, uh, and he was able to achieve his doctoral degree in philosophy in 1841. Uh, he from there, from then, started to uh, edit and run a newspaper, okay? So he got married to an incredibly well-off woman from a politically su successful family in the Prussian Empire at the time. Her whole family opposed the marriage completely, wholeheartedly. They did not want her to marry Karl Marx. Um, and Marx's own father was actually recorded uh, to have said, supposedly, that he, quote, also feared that Jenny was destined to become a sacrifice to the demon that possessed his son. So it's 
seemed like uh, his father at the old t- at you know at the point in time of their marriage actually was a little bit worried for his bride. Um, his child, his son's bride, because he was worried that his son would not treat her well. So, uh, Jenny and Carl end up moving to Paris, France, which at the time was under the Prussian Empire um, and was the center of far left leaning socialist theory. So, at this point in time, in the 1800s, mid 1800s, this, the theory of socialism and, and what socialism actually means uh, was really kind of getting its its start. It was getting its feet underneath it. And he started to run with a lot of socialists at the time and really put together his ideas for communism at that point in time. Uh, This was a place that he first started calling for an uprising of the proletariat, which we would find and talk about a little bit uh, here in a bit as well. Uh, and he was then subsequently expelled by Prussian authorities, and he decided to move to Brussels, Belgium, uh, because he was saying a lot of incredibly politically egregious things at the time for what they considered politically egregious things at the time. And they kicked him out of the country. He officially renounced his Prussian nationality. Um, and his friend Friedrich Engels went with him. So, and during this time, Friedrich Engels and Karl Marx started to publish pamphlets and really come against the political and the thinking elite. This was when they kind of started to really establish a lot of their mojo, the things that they were writing about, the things that they were kind of trying to push, they were trying to promulgate. This was in Brussels, kind of the couple years that he was there, when they started to kind of formulate all of these ideas and this kind of where communism starts, okay? So now we get to 1847. Um, a group of Germans living in London all met together and formed a group called the League of Just. Okay, and they asked Karl Marx and Frederick Engels to join the group. Shortly after they joined the group, they ended up changing the name to the Communist League. Okay, they asked and they tasked Engels and Marx with composing the program and putting together basically what the group would be about. Engels and Marx set together and. Put, you sat down and put together uh, what would eventually become the pamphlet called the Communist Manifesto, which the group promptly accepted after it was submitted to them. And that kind of became their bylaws a little bit as a little bit of a political party there in London, England. So what is the Communist Manifesto? And this is where we're going to kind of start getting into the foundations of and what communism actually is. So uh, the Communist Manifesto pretty much laid out uh, the foundations and, and the pretty much the groundwork for communism. It argued that all history hitherto had been a history of class struggles, and that's the key there. It's been a history of class struggles, that societies have always taken the form of an oppressed majority exploited under the yoke of an oppressive minority, Okay. In capitalism, the industrial working class or the proletariat, there's that term that we talked about earlier is defined, uh, engage in a class struggle against the owners of the means of production called the bourgeoisie. Okay, so as before, the struggle will end in a revolution that restructures society or, quote, the common ruin of contending classes. So the idea is basically this. The bourgeoisie constantly exploits the proletariat for its labor power, creating profit for themselves and accumulating capital. However, in doing so, the bourgeoisie, according to the Communist Manifesto, uh, serves as, quote, its own gravediggers. And the proletariat inevitably will become conscious of their own potential and rise to power through revolution, overthrowing the bourgeoisie. Okay, The main crux of the Communist Manifesto was that there will always be a class struggle between the ruling elite 
and the workers, the pro- the proletariat and the or I should the other way around, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. So the bourgeoisie are the ruling elite, the people at the top that control everything, and the proletariat are the working class people that are actually going in, working their nine to fives, or at this point in time during the you know post industrial revolution, sometimes 13, 14, 15, 16 hour days, uh, at the expense of um uh, all of the people working every single day uh, to provide all of the capital to go up top. So un- all of this happens until the workers finally rise up and destroy the class system that has been put in place and that this bloody uprising and revolution is required for there to be real change. That is incredibly, that's incredibly important. Okay. If you get anything out of communism, the definition is class struggle and there's a need for a revolution in order for change to be made. So Uh, The Communist Manifesto set forth 10 immediate measures as first steps towards communism, okay? And here are what some of those are. Uh, Abolition of property and land and application of all rents, okay? So basically uh, getting rid of all private property. A heavy progressive or graduated income tax. Abolition of all rights of inheritance, so you can no longer inherit anything from your parents or anybody else. Confiscation of the property of all immigrants and rebels, Rebels is not totally defined. Centralization of credit in the hands of the state by the means of a national and state bank as a completely exclusive monopoly. Centralization of the means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. Extension of factories and instruments of production to be completely owned by the state. Uh, Equal liability of all labor. Establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture. The combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries. And the gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country. So there's a more equitable distribution of population over the country. So the idea is to eventually get rid of cities or urban hubs so that people in rural areas have a more equitable chance at uh, basically the whole pie. Okay. And then lastly, free education for all children in public schools. Okay. Uh, the idea is all of the children should be raised up in an equitable fashion. So the main just, as I said earlier, is power, control, and production should be centralized and given over to the government or the state. Okay, uh, it closed. The Communist Manifesto closed with the words, "Quote: The proletarians." have nothing to lose but their chains. They have a world to win. Working men of all countries unite! Exclamation point. So uh, he eventually started calling for, this is Marx, started calling for an all-out and violent revolution all across Europe by the proletariat to take over the bourgeoisie and assume the, the, the means of production, okay? From 1850 to 1864, he lived in absolute poverty and bounced from house to house, okay? So pretty much what happens is Marx ends up writing the Communist Manifesto. Uh, he eventually uh, moves to London, and uh, he ends up kind of just living in abstract poverty, okay? Claiming that the ruling elite were keeping him down, um, although he would not bring himself to seek employment. On multiple occasions, he actually wrote uh, that he could not bring himself to go and actually seek a job or obtain a job uh, because it would just be him giving in to the bourgeoisie keeping him down, okay? He actually lost two of his four children. It is believed due to starvation or other problems. I believe he had four children. He may have had four living children. That was kind of undefined, uh, in the encyclopedia Britannica that I was looking at. Um, 
But uh, he lost two of his children that much, I know for sure. One of his sons, his name was Guido or Guido, um, said that what he, Karl Marx said that Guido was a sacrifice to the bourgeois misery. Okay. Uh, one of his other daughters actually died and there were stories about his wife running around in the street, begging people for money so that she could purchase a coffin to bury her daughter. in. that's how poor they were. So all the while Friedrich Ingalls was sending him money. And eventually when he made partner in a law firm, ended up giving Marx everything that he had to live on. Okay. So Marx at towards, especially towards the, at this, this portion of his life and towards the end of his life as well, uh, was living totally on Friedrich Ingalls dime. Okay. Uh, because Friedrich Ingalls ended up becoming a, a relatively successful lawyer. So uh, the rest of his life, Karl Marx spent primarily in a depression and did not really publish a ton more. So Friedrich Engels actually had um, contracted Marx to to write multiple more books and volumes, uh, kind of later tack-ons to the Communist Manifesto. Like I talked about earlier, he was uh, planned to, supposed to write out multiple more volumes for Das Kapital as well, uh, but he actually ended up not getting to a lot of those. Uh, he ended up kind of just living his life in this, you know, kind of state, just depressive, anxious, ridden state uh, for the rest of his life. Um, even though Ingalls was supporting him and wanting him to publish more books and pamphlets, he ended up not necessarily doing it. So the reason why it is so important to understand Karl Marx, the reason why I go through a good portion of this podcast and talking about communism and, and outlining who Karl Marx was, is because he really is the foundation of a political you know, philosophy and movement that has garnered support from countries all over the world over the past 150 years. He argued really for the first time that the perfect utopian form of government was one that was controlled by and for the working class people where all goods and services and production was run by the state, which was run by the proletariat or it was run by the working class people. Okay. And what was all key given equitably or equally to all of the people in the country, okay? It is based upon stripping the identity from the individual, grouping everyone into a large group within the state. There's no longer an individual. There's only us communally as the state. And the group should have all things divided up completely evenly with one another, each of them working for the greater good of the state, okay? So, the purpose of communism is basically in its utopian form, right? To create a, a nation state where you have a large group of working class people that are all put together in this one big individual pie and all of them work, all of them give every single thing that they have to the government. The government then decides how to equitably or equally distribute every bit of that down to every single person, right? So that means that if you are a lawyer working in a communist country, or if you are a ditch digger working in a communist country, every single thing that you do, every single thing that you produce ends up going up to the government and you both are paid out equally for the work that you do and for the life that you live. Okay. So criticisms of communism are incredibly, are incredibly harsh, especially from a lot of the Western democracies namely the United States, a lot of the different countries in Europe as well. Although I will say, I think that there are a lot of people on the left side of the aisle in Europe that are much more, have a, a much stronger affinity towards communism uh, than especially even the far left within the United States. Even the far left uh, of the political aisle in the United States uh, are, are pretty conservative by European standards. So uh, much of the criticism against communism uh, is 
caused by and, and, is, and is said because communism, communism has been implemented in multiple different countries over the past 150 years, and it has led to the death of millions and millions of people. That is normally the common argument that you hear against communism, um, because the people pretty much are stripped of absolutely everything that they have, every way to provide for themselves well, and then the people controlling the state that now owns everything decides what happens, Okay. Uh, the idea uh, is that, you know, many critics point to the examples of Russia and China as being some of the most egregious forms of communism because their leaders adopted and implemented much of the teachings and the philosophy of Marx. Uh, it was done, like, for example, Lenin or Stalin. All of those were established in Russia based upon a gigantic revolt. From the working class people, uh, they ended up installing a government uh, that was at the very, very top, uh, you know, powerful, and they got rid of all private property, got rid of absolutely everything, had a national socialized health care, a national socialized education, and then millions and millions of people died of starvation, millions and millions of people died from death of diseases because they were incredibly impoverished, or a lot of them were actually killed or executed at the hands of the government. So it is estimated that somewhere around 100 million people just in the 20th century alone died at the hands of a communist government in one form or another, okay? Critics also say that the fundamental problem of communism is that at some point, someone has to be in control. There have to be people that decide how things are going to get done, how things are going to be distributed, how these things are going to actually take place, because of course, like Karl Marx called for, there has to be some sort of a revolution, okay? The bourgeoisie are not going to just hand over the reins of all of their money, all everything that they've built up. You have to have a working class of people that are the majority actually rise up violently, take over all of the, comp of the, of the entirety of the state, and then turn it into a communal state, right? So, uh, a lot of the critics say, because no human being is perfect, there will always be people that are at the top that have a gigantic amount of power that end up making poor decisions that will eventually lead to a lot of people within the proletariat that are supposed to be protected well under the system of communism, uh, and actually them end up being taken advantage of horribly, or worse, being killed at the hands of a totalitarian dictatorship. So... All of that to say, the key to understanding communism is class warfare, okay? All of Marx's ideology is founded upon the idea that capitalism purposefully steals from the working class through their labor and giving them menial wages by which to live on. He pointed at capitalist societies such as the United States or much of the different European democracies that were there at the time, and he said, all of these countries have an absolutely incredible amount of wealth. And yet, there are so many people that are incredibly impoverished, and that is not right. And as a result, those people that are actually doing the work should be receiving the vast majority of the benefits from the work that they're doing. It shouldn't be the people that are at the top of the corporations. It shouldn't be the people at the top of the government. It shouldn't be the aristocracy within the society or the monarchs, because there were plenty of monarchs at the time. It should be the actual working class people that are going into the sawmills, that are going into the coal mines, right? Those, are the, those should be the people that are receiving the vast majority of the benefit for all of the work that they're doing, okay? 
Uh, basically, his argument was that capitalism steals from the poor and gives to the rich. The rich basically pocket the abundance by the ruling upper class. And the only way to turn that around is by class warfare, revolting within a violent means and establishing a new state. So the idea is basically that capitalism, which is a relatively new economic structure established only within the last few centuries, was created to purposefully impoverish people so that the elite can steal the vast majority of the capital or the money. Competition, which capitalism is founded on, and we will talk about that in part three when we go through capitalism, but one of the key pillars of capitalism is an abundance of competition, all right? You have multiple businesses that are competing against one another, and as a result, it ends up mutually beneficial for everybody there because you end up getting the best quality for the service or the good or whatever it is that is being provided. So in communism, competition is viewed as a grave evil of society, and instead, association is promoted. Basically, that people should be working together communally for the betterment of the whole society, instead of competing with one another in order to be able to gain a better status or to gain a better position as an individual, okay? The large group of working class people are not as individuals, but instead make up the state as a whole and everything that they produce should be taken from them by the state and redistributed equally. Communism is very, I think, very important to realize. Communism does not necessarily claim that it will end poverty completely. Okay, that's never, or at least none, in none of this research or anything that I've done into Karl Marx have I seen where Karl Marx says that it will completely end poverty uh, and that no one will ever, you know, be without any type of need or want. Okay, it instead says that having a difference between people that have an abundance and the people that are impoverished is bad. And there should be no wealth inequality at all within a country because no one is better than anybody else. And as a result, you should have a country or a state that is all looking for the everyone to be just the exact same. Okay. Someone should be on everyone should be on the exact same level playing field, allowing everyone to work for the betterment of the society as a whole. So there are still currently Plenty of people the world over that claim to still follow and believe in the teachings of Marx. Communism is still alive and well in multiple countries. Uh, well, I don't necessarily know about well, but there are still multiple countries throughout the world that still uh, implement and have a communist country. Okay. However, there have not been any countries that implemented communism that I know of. Okay. That still or that do not have some sort of totalitarian regime at the top okay uh whether that is from whether that's you know venezuela over these past this past decade or so whether it's with maoist china and even now china under president xi jinping whether it's uh russia under vladimir putin or russia or you know the ussr under stalin uh soviet union at all of them have a, a totalitarian dictator at the top that pretty much calls the shots and decides what is going to happen uh, for the, the society as a whole, um, especially over the past 75 years, okay? There's been a huge power struggle between countries that profess capitalist democracies and countries that have communist regimes because they, in all reality, re can't coexist together. They are... 
they are total dichotomies, okay? They are each other's antithesis in so many ways. And I think socialism, and when we get into socialism, we'll talk a little bit about it, but socialism in some ways is kind of the the way to try and marry the two together, right? Uh, but communism is is all the way over on the far left, okay? And it is an identity uh, or an ideology that that requires absolutely no individualism at all. It has, uh, it pushes against individualism as a whole. It pushes against any type of wealth building or greed, what they would call greed, um, from a bottom, from just a foundational level. And it requires for a society as a whole to buy into this idea that we're all in this one big community. Capitalism is on the far right end of the spectrum, and it pushes and promotes individual rights given to every single every single person, and that every single person is in and of themselves a unique individual that should go out and push for the benefit of themselves and the people that are within their close proximity. Okay, and that eventually branches out, you know, into their community, into their state, into their you know their entire country as a whole, their province, whatever it may be. Okay. But communism and capitalism are uh, dramatic antitheses to one another, okay? Um, As many of you probably can hear or tell going throughout this podcast, there are plenty of different ways and plenty of different things uh, that even a country like the United States, which would claim to be a free market capitalist society, uh, use and kind of have adopted from communism, okay? And there are many many people that are kind of more uh, hardcore capitalists that think that these things are absolutely terrible. So a great example would be uh, f- like free and public education, okay? Total socialization of education. Or one of the big things that's being pushed right now is the socialization of healthcare in the United States. And you can see that through a wide variety of different countries over in Europe. And the idea is basically to have a, a, a society that all comes together and funds for the education of the children and funds for the health care of the people that live within that country, okay? That found its roots primarily in Karl Marx's ideology and in his thinking, okay? Now, that's not to say and if you support uh, a nationalized healthcare or a nationalized system of education, that you are a Marxist or a communist now. It's not necessarily what that means, right? Uh, because there are a lot of different nuances. And I th- hopefully some of that will get cleared up when we talk in our part two about socialism. However... A lot of the idea of a, of a communal system that is that is paid for by the people and distributed by the government found a lot of its basis in the socialism and in the communism that was promoted by Karl Marx. So. With all of that, that is the end of our podcast today. Hopefully, y'all found this beneficial. I hope that you learned something new, that you'll be giving, you know, this is a little bit of a history lesson about communism as a whole, gives you some, you know, concrete definitions, gives you a little bit about who Karl Marx was, what he, you know, tried to push, what he tried to promote. And now you can take this and use this in your own studies uh, as you formulate your own opinions about a lot of these different Uh, systems of government and systems uh, of economics that, you know, hopefully will be beneficial to you as you're, as you're doing research and your study on your own. And you're kind of deciding what you think about all of this. So with all of that, that is the end of our show today. Let's go ahead and hop on into our last quick little segment, something that made me smile. 
So something that's made me smile this week is actually after my Will Bellamy podcast and I sat down and realized uh, how incredibly unintelligent and ill-read that I am because he is so well-read. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, go and listen to that podcast. But he talked about a lot of the different philosophers and thinkers that he has read through. And one of them that he mentioned is Immanuel Kant or Immanuel Kant. I decided to pick up uh, Immanuel Kant's like full workings and full writings over this past week and have started reading it. And it has been incredibly fascinating. So uh, I don't know if any of you read a whole lot or enjoy reading philosophy. Personally, I've never really read any philosophy uh, before. And I, I do a good bit of reading, but I've never really gotten into philosophy. It has been really, really cool to read and kind of learn about a lot of the things that Kant was pushing, uh, that he was that he was kind of formulating in his writings. And it's incredible to see how much that has actually influenced a lot of the education that I had growing up. Um, so I've really enjoyed reading that. You definitely should do some reading into, you know, Kant or Dostoevsky or whoever, you know, a lot of those old philosophers, because I think you may benefit a lot from it. So with all that, that's the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping by and for checking us out. As always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you for listening to Split the Difference podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com.